Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello and welcome to a 2019 episode of the State of the Nova Nation. We're back. We're recharged. Got the batteries all freshened up. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanzial and he is Brendan Riley. What's up, guys? It's been a hot minute. I hope you all had a great holiday season. Good Christmas. Good New Year's. It's good to be back here on the show talking Nova. How have you guys been? Doing all right, Eugene. I'm glad to be back and talking about you know a winning team now. 2019 seems to be uh, pretty friendly so far. Yeah, like we all predicted and never wavered from, Villanova's number right. one and undefeated in the Big East. I mean, that's yeah. what we all thought would happen, and mm-hmm. nothing else has ever happened to change my thoughts on that. Oh, yeah, nothing nothing at all. Nothing at all. It's all been perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. <laughs> Three-game winning streak, took down UConn, beat Providence, beat DePaul. We'll get into those in a little bit, but uh, it's been a strange three-game winning streak because it feels good to win again. But at the same time, my heart was racing. I thought it was going to run out of my chest for a couple moments there in the in the Providence game, especially and the DePaul one too. That one was a little too close. Yeah, there's um, some moments in those games that uh, weren't great, but there was uh, yeah. This team has been running in a very interesting fashion over the past few games. It's just they do something so right, and then they do other things so very wrong. It makes me antsy heading into the rest of the season. I'll put it that way. That's a great word to describe this because it can be for 10 minutes, Nova will look like just like it did last year. World beaters, record-breaking offense, great defense, solid on both ends of the court. And then all of a sudden for seven minutes, it's like, ooh, what, what just happened? Did the Monstars come in? Did, did they just get all their talent sapped? What just happened? But we're going to break it down. We're not going to go game by game. But just overall, you know, these last couple weeks while we we're away, it's been a pretty good time for Nova to get back on the winning track. Because last time we had an episode, it was it was sad. It was back-to-back losses topped off by that Kansas defeat. I just want to ask you guys, while we were away, while we've been gone, let's talk about the positive. Let's talk about the good news. What has stood out to you with this team so far? What are some things that in this three-game winning streak, obviously winning is great, but what has been different this time around than when Nova was losing, when it wasn't doing so hot? What is it with this new team? What stands out to you guys? I think so far the defense has been pretty cheered up. At least against UConn and Providence, I thought they played pretty well. And then it was able to pretty much lock down against DePaul towards the end of the game and and basically uh, spearhead a run at the end of the game there. Uh, I mean, Brendan, what do you think? I, I feel like the defense has been pretty good these past few games. 
it's definitely improved. Uh, I think one of the things I like the most about it is it's clear that the time between the UConn and DePaul game, while, yeah, they came out rusty against DePaul, one of the things Jay Wright has done is expand what philosophies they're incorporating into both the offense and the defense, but specifically it's visible on the defense where you see them starting to use a bunch of different defenses. He said multiple times, they're not ready to go to their straight pressure man, which is where he wants to eventually get to, but you can see them being able to adjust better on defense. And that has more to everyone getting more comfortable in the system and being more comfortable with their roles and responsibilities. Uh, So I absolutely agree with you. The defense, while it's not a finished product yet, is improving. Yeah, that's a great point on how well they've been able to adjust, especially I think we saw that in the UConn game, where the first half of that game, it was a dogfight. It was tough. And then all of a sudden, second half, Nova goes on that big run, locks down on those hyper-athletic guards, goes on that crazy 20-point spurt, and they looked great. They looked awesome. And definitely the defense has picked up. It surely isn't a finished product yet, but I have liked what I've seen from that defense so far. Yeah, I like the zone that they kind of utilized against Providence. I felt like that helped out uh, a lot. And you even saw, like, for, like, a very brief stretch, you saw uh, Pascal playing, like, a guard position in the zone. It was, it was kind of weird to see at the time. But I, I felt that, like, despite, you know, the team just going absolutely cold against Providence at the end of the game there, I thought the defense was able to lock down. And I think, you know, as Brandon was saying, that the way they were able to switch it up, especially with the zone, it, was, it played pretty well into the, to the hands of the Cats there. The other thing I, I like that they're doing more of, and I'll say this up front, there are two caveats to it, is minute distribution. There, and while this pass game against Providence was a little more uh, foul trouble, they were distributing minutes before the foul trouble even started. So it wasn't a situation like we had seen earlier in the season when Jay Sands was completely forced into it. Um, the two caveats to that are, one, Pascal and Booth are still playing over 35 minutes a game each, which I I don't love. Um, I get why, but I don't love that they are. And the other is the DePaul game where we just went back to playing what six guys for basically the whole game. I, I, I didn't get it. I don't understand it. I think there actually was seven guys to give them credit. I think, or it was uh, Bay and Quinterly off the bench with Crema starting, along with the normal starters that we've had all year. But uh, as long as we're continuing to work more guys in, get more guys run, um, I-, I think the minutes need to start coming de- from Pascal and Booth. Not that I want them off the court that much. I'd still like to see them out there for three quarters of the game. So, you know, you're talking 30, 32 minutes around there for each one of them. But I mean, playing 38 to 40 minutes a game, basically, I I don't know if that's going to be a recipe for success because it's coming at the expense of some of these other guys. Um, And I'll get into Cremo's minutes later because boy, oh boy, has that been a topic of discussion around our Slack channel. <laughs> yeah, Cremo's minutes and then also Samuel's minutes, which were a little weird during this three-game stretch where it was like, oh, where has he been all this time? And then all of a sudden he got some burn and it was like, oh, see, this is what happens. He does good things when he gets a chance to play. And he had that highlight slam against Providence, which was sweet. 
Mm-hmm. Also, adding to the minutes distribution, we finally got to see a free Javon Quinterly against UConn. After intentionally uh, injuring Gillespie, obviously. <laughs> yeah, cons- yeah, conspiracy theorists uh, totally love that one. Yeah, trying to Wally pip him. That's nice. <laughs> I know JQ stands have been looking for Javon Quinterly. He finally got his chance to shine. And we've seen him a few times since that UConn game. What were your thoughts on that overall as a whole? I'm curious just to see how you guys viewed his outing against UConn and where that puts him moving forward. I, I thought against UConn, he, he just provided a lot of energy. And because Gillespie was hurt, had to force Jay's hand. The ability to push the ball and get out in front. And he had that, there was that big steal that he had at half court. And then it turned into, a, a, I believe it was an and one to Phil Booth on, on a dish inside. It was absolutely great play and that got him fired up and like that like you could see like the confidence building with him uh, play in and play out it was it was just amazing to see and then you didn't really see him that much against Providence but he had that sick layup at, I think it was in the second half uh, where he just blew by everybody and drove to the basket and was able to flip flip it up and in and like that's what you want to see like I like how he's playing with more confidence and yes he didn't play as much as I would have liked to him seen against Providence but he still did play a good chunk against the ball and looked pretty good there. Still not hitting the outside jump shots as much as we would like, I would say. But otherwise, I think he's been playing pretty well. And defensively, I don't feel like he's as big of a liability as he was, at least towards the beginning of the season. The one thing I'll say uh, for Quinterly is I-, I do love the improvement. He's getting more minutes. He was only in for 10 against Providence, but 10 more than he's had in some other games. So I'll be happy with what he's getting at the moment. The one thing that's a little concerning for me with him right now is uh, the percent of possessions that he's using, which to go super stat geek on everybody, it's basically the number of possessions that end because of something he does, whether it be a turnover, taking a shot that the other team rebounds or scoring a basket. Right now, Pascal's using about 25% of the possessions when he's on the court. Booth is using 25% of the of possessions when he's on the court and Quinterly is using 25% of the possessions when he's on the court. And those are by far the three highest on the team. While I agree that Quinterly is a unique talent and definitely can get there at one point, the thing this team needs right now more than anything is a facilitator. They really need somebody to be able to keep moving the ball and that's what they're desperately lacking. So while I know Quinterly can be a great presence on the court and really score, and be a scorer, uh, we need a facilitator. We need that part of his game to, to grow more. And while, I, I mean, we've seen someone be able to do both. We've seen it in Brunson, and I'm not going to even try to compare Brunson and Quinterly right now. I'm just saying we know it's possible to do both. That's what we want to grow towards. Especially at the end of the Providence game, I felt like they could have really used the facilitator. It seemed like a lot of one-on-one <laughs> and a lot of ISO. And I'm like, all right, guys, anytime you like to pass the ball now, it would be greatly appreciated. In Quinley's defense, he didn't play in those ten minutes. No, no, I know. I'm saying, I'm saying, it's it. It would have been nice to have seen him out there, but I don't think Jay would trust him at this point anyway. Not even myself, but it. Yeah, so uh, it's probably for the best. But it, just in general, I think the team's got to start passing the ball a little bit, a little bit more ball movement, especially at the end of the game. Absolutely, the usage rate with him is is pretty interesting. Bringing up that stat, but also if you look, the, also diving in, putting on my stat geek hat on. He does have the highest assist rate on the team, which is pretty interesting, but he also has one of the higher turnover rates. So he can facilitate, he can dish, but we got to chop down on those turnovers. One thing I also like from him is the fact that he's now doing more off the ball as opposed to before. I felt like 
in his first few games, when he did get out on the floor, he would pass the ball and just kind of camp out in a corner and then wave his arms, basically doing jumping jacks or like a wacky waving inflatable tube arm man calling for the ball. And we see now that he's playing in the offense. He's playing within the system, which is a great sign. Much improved from before. Still not there yet, but I did like the growth so far that I've seen from Jelly JQ. So looking at this team right now, Brendan, I know you wanted to talk Cremo's minutes. What is the state of Joe Cremo right now? We need his wisdom. We need his experience. He's grad transfer, this and that. We know of him as a shooter, but what is he bringing to the table right now? What he brings to the table is a spot-up shooter who is savvy uh, on the court, but not as physically gifted as some other members of the team. He's not an athlete like Samuels or Bay or even Quinterly. While Quinterly has a much smaller frame, um, he's, there's no questioning his athletic ability. Um, Cremo, that question is there. The other questions have been around how quickly is he picking up the defense? Can he create his own shot? It's, they're valid questions and the narrative that's been out there right now is that he's not doing anything on offense is that he's a liability on defense. And what I keep hearing is people saying, give all of his minutes away to the younger players uh, who could use the the time to develop both for this year and next. I I don't agree with that. (laughs) Um, do I think Quinterly needs to be playing 20-something minutes a game? No. I think he should be somewhere between 20, 10 and 20 minutes a game based on what the game plan is. If we're going to be playing a zone, you want Quinterly out there, or you want, sorry, you want Cremo out there because, and this is undeniable, he is our best three-point shooter. By far, it's not close. He's shooting 44% on the season. No one else even breaks 40. He, he is our best three-point shooter. The problem is he can't create his own three-point shot. He can head fake and get into the lane, and he's actually not as bad distributing, and he can finish in the, in the lane. We've seen him have double-digit points or double-digit games before, but he can't create his own shot on the perimeter the way a booth can. So he needs someone else to be driving and kicking to him, and as we said earlier, we don't have that facilitator right now. I, I mean, he, he's the perfect guy in that drive and dish system. We just haven't been driving and dishing. And it's unfortunately making people think that he does nothing and is useless. Well, I, I'm currently in the process of researching an article on offensive rating, which takes a lot of things into account, but basically everything a player does on offense, both good and bad, and gives them an overall score, which a score of 100 is considered to be a good game. Um, Quinn or Cremo hasn't broken a hundred in his last six games. He's come close on a couple hitting 97 and 96. Um, but he definitely has had just some, some blanks. Like in the Kansas game, his offensive rating was zero against Providence. It was 15. It hasn't been good. All that to say on the season, Joe Cremo has the exact same offensive rating as Eric Paschal. That's crazy. 
Oh, that's that's <laughs> not, and I'll also I you know one thing I also want to add about Cremo because I know I, that's been a hot topic. We've seen the comments and all that, but they need to draw more plays for this man. And as you said, he can't make his own shot, but there just hasn't been a lot of plays where it goes to him because he can knock it down. The man is a sniper. He just yeah. hasn't had the chances. Absolutely. And instead, what we've been seeing in these late games is Pascal and Booth yep. trying to take the ball one-on-one or off a screen to drive in, but not resulting in dishing. And, and especially Pascal, the reason why his offensive rating is coming down a bit, by the way, they both currently have an offensive rating of 111.6 uh, as of the date of this recording. It's good. It's not great. The best offensive rating on the team is Demir Cosby Roundtree. And that's, that's another it. thing I want to talk about because there are people <laughs> in the comment section saying he's useless. But no, here he is leading the team right now in offensive rating. He does all the little things except scoring. He does so much for us on the offensive boards, on setting screens, on, on doing a bunch of the little stuff that doesn't necessarily cause a flash uh, on the screen, but... It is just amazing when you go in and look at some of the stats here. He really is a beast for us. And on a team when we thought we really were not going to have any kind of presence down low, he has quietly been uh, a reason that we're in and sometimes even winning games. I mean, it was no fluke that he won the MVP uh, in the Advocare Invitational. (laughs) Like, he is capable of doing that. Yeah, and just diving into the numbers with DCR, he is top 20 in offensive rating nationwide. He's shooting over 71% on the floor, and he also has one of the highest offensive rebounding percentages in the entire country. He's coming in right now 15.8%, 14th out of all the players in Division One basketball. He is no slouch. He is not there clogging up space. He's not there wasting space. This man is a contributor. Yeah. We were saying last episode, you know, they should start using him on the pick and roll more. They, they got to find them. They, they, it seems like everybody, who, when they, whenever he rolls to the basket, they just completely ignore him. I don't understand why. And for everyone that's saying that we need to get these younger guys more time and all they're playing, Quinterly, Samuels, and Cole Swider have the three lowest offensive ratings for the team. Quinterly and Swider are rookies that have been having limited minutes. That's going to hurt. It's not giving you enough time to be able to raise those up. And if you go back and look at the last few games, those numbers are on the rise. And that's actually what my article will be looking at is the trends of all of these ratings, not just what's the number overall for the season. For example, Joe Cremo is trending down. That's something that needs to change, although I don't know if it's entirely in his control. Javon Quinterly is trending way up right now. We're seeing a lot more use out of him, and it's he's playing so much better than he did at the beginning of the season. On the defensive side, though, he's not making any improvements. It We definitely see more effort, and I can see the eye test shows me that he's improving defensively. He hasn't quite put it all together, though, in always getting to where he needs to be. So look for that article later. I'll stop filling your heads with stats at the moment. But, um, yeah, there's... The rotation is still very much being figured out. We were hoping that we'd have a lot more clarity at this point in the season. We don't. And I don't know if we're going to have it by February. Yeah, and I think the Providence game was very telling of that. Very telling of that. There's a panic mode, and Jay immediately goes to the same five, six guys. And 
that I, I don't know what's going to make him change that. I don't think he ever will. So you got you might as well just get used to it now. I will say this though, uh, for anyone that was worried about Cremo replacing Bay in as a starter, it is in name only and not in minutes. <laughs> Uh, in the in the Providence game, Cremo played 14 minutes. Bay played 28. Uh, Bay is significantly playing more than Cremo is, so don't worry about what happens in the first two minutes of the game. Also, a great point. You know how Nova is. It's it's never. <laughs> it's all in name. It's all in title. Starting. It's all. It's all just names. Yep. Do you guys think that it will ever change? Like we're we're waiting. We're just waiting to see. Is will we finally figure it out now? Is will it be all set in stone this week? Do you think Jay ever shies away from this? You know, things aren't going so well. Let's go with six guys or let's run these five guys for like 38 minutes. Do you think that'll ever change? I do. Um, I mean, what we have to remember as fans is that we're seeing maybe 10% of the picture. We're seeing what we see in games. We're not seeing what they're practicing. We're not seeing what they're working on. There's stuff that they do during the week that never comes out in the game. Uh, it's they're purposefully building towards later in the season, even last year's team, um, which was one of, if not the greatest Villanova basketball teams of all time, their defense didn't come together until mid February. <laughs> like the, <laughs> that, that team's defense, their team's defense was that they were just going to outpace everyone else and just score a bajillion points, and you weren't going to be able to keep up with them. It wasn't until closer to the tournament that the defense started getting to that elite level as well. So do I'm not by any means saying that this team is going to be able to reach either one of those levels. The offense is still very good on this team, despite the fact that it goes through vicious slumps. Uh, but when it's clicking, it is very good. Um I think the defense will come along. It's like any college basketball team. It's not packaged pretty and ready to go on day one. It's got to take time to get there. Unfortunately, unlike previous seasons where you can see where it's going and you see how the pieces are fitting together, it's a much foggier picture this time around. That's just something that comes with not having the luxury of just practically reloading 95% of the roster every year. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, when you have all these new pieces, it's hard to tell exactly how they're all going to fit together. Now, next season, we're going to have somewhat of the same issue because we're going to be, what, losing three guys, gaining four more. It's not going to be as clear. That's the new reality for Villanova. You're not going to be able to just have these guys that you've seen in the system for years and years and years, and no one ever leaves early. Like that, that's not the world we live in anymore. <laughs> so it's going to be just because it's going to be a longer distance to cover for the team throughout the season doesn't mean they're not capable of covering it. I'm with you on the same page there, Brandon. I think they'll eventually figure it out. Jay's teams always have a knack for figuring it out, especially towards later in the year. I, although I do, I am still a bit concerned about the minutes distribution. I do feel like as a team, they will eventually figure it out, but the minutes distribution still concerns me a bit. I still, Jay, I still believe Jay still has a little bit of a panic mode thing where he just kind of goes to the same guys. And we, we've seen it throughout the whole year. We've seen it in the past. So, I mean, I don't think that'll change. 
But I, I, I still feel like they'll eventually figure it out, especially on the defensive end. At, at least these past three games have been encouraging. Obviously, we got to see throughout the whole Big East schedule and see how it plays out. But I, I, I think they'll be all right. So let's zoom out from Villanova. Trust the process. Trust Jay. 2019. And let's just look at the Big East as a whole right now. We've seen about a week and a half of Big East games. Just want to get your guys' overall impression because so far it's looking like the wide open race that everyone's fully anticipated in being with Seton Hall beating St. John's, but then losing to DePaul and Nova just having absolute dogfights in these first two goes, especially at the dunk, which a win's a win. And I'm totally happy that Nova came out of that place with a win because that place is uh, a hellhole for visiting teams. Just what do you guys think about the Big East so far? What are your impressions of how confidence play is going to shape out? Because it honestly, if you ask me to predict the top five, I don't think I could give it to you. I don't think I can right now. Rarely do I give this man credit, but I will on this. Uh, John Rothstein had a tweet the other day to something, <laughs> something to the effect of that while the Big East does not have the talent of the Big 12, every game in the Big East feels just as competitive as every game in the Big 12. And I think he hit the nail on the head with that one, that this is a really competitive conference because the top and the bottom are closer than they've ever been before. It's, it's, it's really going to be a dogfight. Now I do think Villanova is in the top of that, that pile. I, I don't know if they're the tippy top. <laughs> uh, they are for right now. Uh, but St. John's is legit. Marquette is legit. Seton Hall knows how to play late in games and has a confidence that, man, I don't you, – you need to put them away early and keep the lead because if you start letting them get back into a game, as much as, yes, DePaul did beat them, DePaul was up double digits in that game, and Seton Hall was able to take the lead down to one in the final minutes. They, they came very close to winning that game. And that's the kind of team that Seton Hall is going to be this year, is they're going to start slow, and then they are going to pour it on. St. John's has two amazing basketball players that, while in the past we've said, well, sh- you know, shut down everyone else and just let these guys, you know, do what they're going to do. I don't know if you can do that against these two. These are two guys that can win a game on their own. And Marquette just is able to score so well and play defense just well enough to win games and beat anyone they go up against. It's going to be a very, very tight race. The good news is that through one week, Villanova now has the pole position. Look at the games across the board so far. Marquette just had three big non-con wins. And then they go into Karnaseka and get absolutely obliterated by St. John's. Then that same St. John's team this weekend went into Georgetown and was in a dogfight with them in an overtime game. It's completely up in the air. I mean, like you said, Seton Hall should have probably won that DePaul game if they had drawn up a better play at the end of the game there. Even though it was an open look, I thought they, they were using the wrong guy. The shoot there. I, I thought they should have gotten bad with Al, but so they should have beaten the Paul, but they, they just beat Kentucky in non-con and they had a sick win 
with the buzzer too. So yeah, like between those teams, it, it's going to be a really tough year because you just don't know what to expect. Like they, like St. John's can obliterate Marquette one day and then the next day they're in a dog fight against Georgetown. It's, it's complete. You just don't know what you're going to get. And then you have Butler floating around there. And I still think they're going to pretty much keep up with everybody. Providence, obviously is still good enough to, you know, make every game competitive, especially at home. It seems like so. And if they can just get smarter guards, I feel like they would be, they'd be better off, but yeah, it's just, it's just a wide open year this year. I'm looking forward. It'll definitely provide for more drama than in years past. That's for sure. Road wins will not be easy to come by. I would not also be surprised if when we look at the final standings in March going into the East tournament, if one through seven was just separated by three or four games, that would not shock me at all. I will say on that note uh, on road wins, keep in the back of your mind for NCAA tournament seating. Villanova needs quality one wins. And the way things are shaping up right now, the only chances they're going to have for quality one wins at home are going to be Marquette and St. John's and maybe Butler. Otherwise, they're going to need to pick them all up on the road. And that is going to be a difficult task this year. It will be difficult, but as we've seen, Nova seems to be playing pretty well at places not named Finner and Pavilion. They play pretty good basketball. Oh, and where's their next game at? Oh, don't remind me. Oh, don't remind, no. Don't no. <laughs> and who's coming to town? Oh, oh no. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, let's look at the up-and-coming, the trendy contender, the one that is currently repping the Big East. Well, it's them and Marquette. Marquette hung in there in the top 25. But St. John's, welcome to the top 25 club. It's been a few years. They're coming to take on the defending conference and national champs in Villanova. They're coming to the Finn. Guys. I look at this team, and in the beginning of the year, I was nervous. I felt that they would come catch Nova sleeping while the kitties are still away on winter break. It's going to be a quiet Finneran Pavilion. And now the more I look into it, and the more I crunch the numbers, and the more I look at St. John's, I've covered a few of their games this year. And uh, honestly, I am now terrified. I am now terrified. What do you guys feel? Oh, man, Shamori Pons is a special player. He, he really is. He can win games by himself. We've seen players like that at Villanova. He is a player of that caliber. Anytime you've got someone like him, you can win. They will not be the favorites coming in. Nova will still likely be the favorites. I doubt Vegas will have the spread at six points the way Ken Palm does. I'll, take, I'll bet on the Johnnies any day for if you're giving them six points. It's going to be a close one. It really is. It's going to come, man, this just feels like one of those games that's going to come down to somebody getting in foul trouble, which for the first time in forever, it feels like is going to be Nova's advantage if we start getting into foul trouble, especially if it comes down to their two stars. Oh, this is, this is going to be a tough one. And it's going to be a great win for the Wildcats if they can get it. And it's going to be a gut-wrenching loss if they can't. Yeah, before the season, I was I was pretty scared of this game. I still picked Villanova to win at home, but now seeing the way Villanova's been playing at home and the way St. John's has been playing just in general, yeah, this this is pretty scary, I got to say. Um, you see them, like I said, you see them dismantle Marquette the way they did and then able to claw out a come-from-behind win at Georgetown the way they did. That's that, I don't know. I, I, I feel that they're going to give Villanova big problems. I still think Villanova wins think they'll be able to contain everybody else besides Ponds. I don't I don't know. I, I feel 
it's such a ah, I'm such a, I'm so flippy floppy on this game because I just I just don't know what to expect anymore. I just don't I am so terrified. <laughs> I don't know with Pons. Ah, he's so good. <laughs> like, it can't be under overstated how good he is. Yeah, he, he really is. I mean, I'm still picking Villanova to win this game by a possession. If that, and if it's any more, it's because St. John's was forced to foul late in the game, and <laughs> and that somehow gives us a, an eleven point victory. <laughs> Which, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what's going to happen in this game. Is you're going to look at the final score and you're going to be like, oh, this team really beat out this team, but the game is not going to feel like that at all. <laughs> exactly. It's it's funny because at first it was like, oh, St. John's hasn't played anybody. Oh, they wait, wait until they play some decent competition. And they've they've been there. They've so far in their three biggies contest, they've looked pretty good. I mean, I know that everyone looks at ponds and deservingly so. I mean, primetime ponds is a very big boy, one of the top scorers in the conference, and his defense is highly underrated. But if you look at some of the other guys, they have in total five different players scoring in double digits. The new guys have been great. Mustafa Heron. Great guard, great pickup. LJ Figueroa has proven to be a dynamic forward. And Marvin Clark and Justin Simon, they're the old heads who have been there before last year. And this year, they've taken their play to new heights. You look at Marvin Clark, he didn't really have a great start to the season. But over this last month or so, he's shot the lights out and he's picked up his offense. And Justin Simon, he can score too, but he's really, he really deserves all the credit for his defensive work. The way that he made Marcus Howard do basically nothing to shutting down Miles Powell and having him be uncomfortable for most of the game, it can't be stated enough. He's a very good defender, and I think that's a part of his game that he's totally added this year. So with all these hyper-athletes, it's like I said with the UConn game, it kind of reminds me of that in which UConn had all those different guards, and we saw that the problem... It gave Nova at least in the first half until they pulled away. I'm I'm very uneasy about this. If there's one good thing, it's that St. John's doesn't really have a lot of depth. I mean, Nova's rotation is very questionable, but you can know when the bench guys come out, especially now that Mikey Dixon has transferred, there's not going to be a lot of production. So if Nova can somehow shut down these guys or get or these guys get into foul trouble, it might be an issue. But uh, I think I said in my weekly... Big East post. I think I said Nova loses by a possession, maybe two possessions. I forgot if I said four points or two points. I think this will be an absolute dogfight, and unfortunately, Nova will not come out on top. At least that's how I'm predicting it. They if get the revenge on the road. At the if guard. you guys had to pick one Villanova player, not named Booth or Pascal, that Villanova is going to need a great game from to win, who are you picking? Sadiq Bay, Colin Gillespie. Okay. And I'm going Demir Cosby Roundtree. All right, here we go. <laughs> here we go. I like it. Running line. All right, we'll see. Uh, we'll see which one of those three comes through in Villanova's <laughs> latest victory of the fin. I'm curious as to why you guys picked your your people though. Uh, because St. John's is so focused on their perimeter that we, I, I mean. Booth is going to do what he can with Pons. Pons is equally good defensively, so he's going to be able to slow down Booth. Pascal is very good, but he wasn't in the question. So I think if Demir Cosby Roundtree can control the paint and alter shots and force St. John's to take most of their shots from the perimeter or 
you know, mid-range jumpers, uh, I think that can be a huge, huge part of our defensive game plan. And on offense, man, if they can start finding DCR in some of these pick and rolls or they can get him some open looks down in the basket, he, even just looking at his footwork over the past couple weeks is getting better and he's being able to play as a, as a guy with the, his back to the basket uh, and make some moves in the post. I, I think, you know, we saw it in Florida. I think he's due for another big game soon. And Chris? Yeah, I think with with Bay, it's it's kind of the same thing. Like I think they sort of need the inside outside presence here, and he's. I feel like he's just due for a big game as well. I, I he hasn't been playing all that great. I mean, he had, he did have a pretty good game against the ball. Give him that. But like outside of that, like Kansas, he trouble. New County trouble, and certainly against Providence, I didn't think he had the greatest games either. I think he's just due for a good one. I really do. I think if Villanova is going to need a secondary scorer here, I loved what. Uh, Booth and Pascal did in the first half against Providence, but once they went cold in the second half, there was no secondary scoring whatsoever outside of Swider's occasional three. I think they're going to need that secondary score, and I think it's going to have to come from forward position, and since Pascal's out, out of the question here, I'm going with Bay. I'm going with Gillespie just because we've seen in against some opponents with super athletic guards that he sometimes gets a little beaten up, and unfortunately, against St. John's, we can't afford mistakes like that. I'm hoping that he can hold his ground, hold his own, and play with them. But we've seen it against DePaul. He had, he had a little bit of a hard time with Eli Kane. I'm hoping that somehow he can, I guess, new year, new him. But uh, I'm just hoping that it's a different story this time around. And we're going to need him in, to deal with these guys. That's, that's a lot of hope. <laughs> that's a lot of hope. <laughs> For a guy that's going to be matched up against the likely Big East player of the year, unless it's Howard, that's that's a lot of hope. It is, it is, which is why you know you said one guy Nova's going to need, and they're really going to need him. For I'll give you that. That's uh, you're going to go for it. Go all in. <laughs> oh man, I'm looking forward to this game, though. I really am. I'm really curious to see how this plays out. It's tonight at 7 p.m. If you can't make it to the Fin, it'll be on Fox Sports One. I'll be watching. I know you guys will be too. Before we sign off, we got a few questions from the listeners out there. And we got a couple things to address before we go away. But first off, uh, as always, you can tweet us at SONNPod or leave your questions in the comments section. And we'll find its way to us and we'll answer them. We got a few questions from Jerry Quinn. And we got one that a couple of different people shared. So we're just going to group them together. But uh, this first one from Jerry is, will Javon Quinterly get more? same or less minutes than he did in the UConn game going forward. I mean, so far we saw what it looked like in the Providence game and in DePaul, but I'm curious as to where you guys see his minutes shaping out moving forward. I think he's going to end up somewhere in the 10 to 20 range. I know that's pretty vast, but considering that we were looking at DNPs early in the year, it's a big improvement. Uh, I, I would be, very surprised in any game he got less than 10 minutes for the rest of the season, uh, unless it's injury or injury or foul trouble related. And yeah, the 10 to 20 range, hopefully more towards the 20 range. Cause I just want to see him continue to develop, but yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. That's a pretty solid range. When you said it, when you brought that up earlier, I was like, yeah, honestly, 10 to 20 round 15 totally go with me. Jerry's next question is, was it fair to fire Steve Alford at UCLA midseason? I'm going to go yes. with yeah. 
Yeah, yep. yeah. Very under expectations. It's like, God, disappointing. <laughs> that firing's a season and a half due, overdue. Uh, so, yes. <laughs> yes, you can get rid of him immediately. <laughs> I'm going to throw a curveball in there. Uh, so, was Dan Dockich's list a good one, a bad one? <laughs> or uh, what are we even thinking? I think that's a failed drug test, to be honest. Dan Dockich's list, I can only uh, describe as very Dockich. <laughs> uh, that's the best way to describe that. If there's anything great about Villanova not playing on ESPN anymore, it's that Dan Dockich isn't announcing our games. And this last one from Jerry and was also sent to us by a couple other people. Uh, what are your 2019 New Year's resolutions? Chris, let's start with you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, New Year's resolutions. Stop eating. Just cut out the crap. Yeah, cut out the crap food. Uh, I've been eating way too much, especially around the holiday season. Too much good food to not to not eat. But still, I got to cut back on that. And also to be more positive because I know I'm such a negative Nancy on here. I got to be a little bit more positive. So I'm looking forward to being a positive Chris in 2019. Uh, I'm doing a boring one, the generic weight loss. Uh, I'm, I am waiting until after my birthday later this month to start it, though. So <laughs> the rest of this month is really delicious uh it's been quite fun but um no it's gonna be uh joining the gym again getting back in shape got one of those pesky kid things now so i uh i gotta make sure i'm gonna be around to see them turn into huge nova fans like ourselves when's your birthday uh january 26th you can uh send me gifts to no uh january 26th i know a lot of nova nation fans that uh share that birthday with me uh, and we love to uh, shout each other out especially uh, greatest thing ever with my birthday was being uh completely shit-faced uh at the wells fargo center um crying when ryan archidiacono hit the three to tie syracuse send our game to overtime where we would go on to win uh crying tears of joy so happy, so drunk. Best birthday I've ever had. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's that's awesome. That's uh, I didn't realize I was on your birthday. Oh, it was the greatest birthday gift ever. Uh, for me, uh, you know, it's funny because I tweeted that I wasn't gonna have any New Year's resolutions, but then uh, I guess duty calls, and I told Mike J. I totally promised that we would hop back on the NBA Wildcat Watch series, and so far so good. So far so good. You know, a few days in, <laughs> filling my promise. It's been pretty fun to look at the cats, especially catching up with how they've been midseason. I know Mari Spellman is down in the G League, but we're hoping he comes back up. Dante Divincenzo has been kind of up and down with the G League, and I guess the Bucks changing their minds three days later and then bring him back up, but he's been back on the Bucks. So hopefully the big Omari big O can rejoin the NBA roster. Slightly more serious would be to get a new job. I've been kind of, you know, chipping away at this a while now uh, with getting a sports writing job, a sports journalism job with some big outlets. And even though I've gone far in the interview processes, it's cool. It's like, I guess, great, you know, to be close, but, uh, at the end of the day, you know, I want to secure one. Um, I'm hoping this is the year where I kind of can take that leap. In the past, gotten pretty far, but then didn't make it. But when I see the reporters who end up taking those positions, it's like, oh, man, I can't even. 
I can't even complain. Like, man, I've been watching you on like ESPN or like you have like way more years of experience. So I'm hoping this is the year where I uh, finally take the leap. And hopefully you can see me on SI, knock on wood. Hopefully, hopefully. And l- totally less serious. Stop having butterfingers. I don't know about you guys, but the amount of times I've like dropped my phone on my face at like odd hours of the night when I'm just like browsing social media and embarrassingly liking something by accident. Oh my God, <laughs> so high. So high. <laughs> that seems to be your forte. Oh, huh, that's horrible. I'm- Dropping your phone on your face? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like lying in bed and all of a sudden Butterfingers just like no reason. Just drop my phone on my face and accidentally like something at like, I don't know, 2.35 in the morning. (laughs) Who, who, here you go, Eugene. Pro tip, don't hold your phone directly over your face. (laughs) (laughs) And there you go. See, thanks, Brent. That's why you're here. Now I can start working on my resolution. But yeah, I kid you not, strange butterfingers. It happened to me over the weekend, actually. It was like uh, after a night out, I was about to go to bed, and then boom, just dropped my phone. <laughs> no. Huh, what could be the common factor? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> stuff stuff we can't say on, on this show. <laughs> but yeah, those are my resolutions. Well, good, good luck to all of us. On uh, oh, yeah. accomplishing those, especially the uh, NBA watch one, because Mike J will be on you. Oh yeah, he was already <laughs> on me after the January first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone tell Father Rod to pray for all of us. We're gonna need it, and the cats too. But uh, before we sign off, we got a couple things to talk about here. Um, so I asked if people would be interested in bringing back the weekly pick'em contest. Uh, Ryan Bowman was the king of view hoops last year and won, and I don't know about you guys, but I kind of want to do it again. I'm not sure how everyone feels. So please check out my weekly Biggie's post. And if you do want to participate or you do want to flex your knowledge, please let me know in the poll. Because if so, going to totally bring it back next Sunday. And we're going to play for about the next eight weeks. Do and- it. Do it. Do it. Yeah, especially this year with it being such a crapshoot, it'd be it'd actually be interesting. Yeah, this might actually be the year where like your non-sports friend or like your casual basketball friend like wins. It all um, just like sweeps. <laughs> I'm just flipping a coin every game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, uh, we got a very generous donation, and we are giving away two tickets to the Villanova Xavier game on January 18th, Friday night at the Wells Fargo Center. And if you're interested and want a chance to win, please retweet and follow the SONN pod. I'm going to put the tweet up, the official tweet up later, and then we will randomly select a winner for those two tickets. So keep an eye out for that. We're going to have that going for like a week, and then we're going to pick a winner next Tuesday at like 11.59 p.m. How did that not lead the podcast? (laughs) That's amazing. It's a a treat. It's a treat. It's a treat. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's the treat at the end of the rainbow. Uh, We're not sure if the benefactor wants to be named, so I will totally check in on him and give him props, but he knows who he is. Uh He knows who he is. It's him. Oh. (laughs) Super sleuth, Brandon. Sleuthed it out of you. (laughs) All right, it's Chris Lane. (gasps) No, it's not, it's not Chris Lane. <laughs> uh, happy retirement, Chris Lane. But uh, yeah, so two things. Uh, yeah, if you want to pick them contest, fire that back up. Let me know, and we'll get it going on Sunday. And also retweet, follow SONN Pod on Twitter for a chance to win those two tickets to the Xavier game. 
until then, thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. It was great to be back. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Podomatic and Spotify. You have many, many options. Check back at viewhoops.com. Brendan's going to be chugging out some content. I'm going to be chugging out weekly, or not weekly, sorry, oof, daily NBA Wildcat watches and among other things. And we got a big game tonight. So we're going to have a recap. We're going to have your previews. So totally check it out. And also follow View Hoops at View Hoops. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 And you can follow me, Chris Stanzial, at The Stands Man on Twitter. And you can follow me, Brendan Riley, at Brendan Riley 37 on Twitter. Nova Nation, happy Tuesday. Glad to be back. And we are super excited for this game tonight. Hopefully we show the Red Storm that the Big East still runs through the main line. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.